Last night was the Clutter Gallery opening, and we had a wonderful time. And also, I'm going to talk about things I love, because as it was, it was pointed out last night, this podcast gets pretty dark, so I'm going to change that starting today. You notice even the intro music is is much happier and lighter. I admit, this this does get dark. Distazapod is literally like having a conversation with me in real life. It's sort of a, a digital version of that. And anyone who knows me and who's talked with me at great length knows I got a morbid streak. Things get very dark. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing because I think through utilizing humor and and just being realistic about the state of affairs of the world, um, you sort of you give yourself strength in some regard. But I was cornered by a cadre of squires of the slice led by internet bully Mike Kirchhoff, the very talented resin artist, uh, the Mark Ultra. And he said that, um, you know, he said these podcasts are pretty dark. He, he said his uh, girlfriend was walking by as he's listening to it. And she's like, what is this toy podcast about? And he's like, health care. <laughs> and um, he's absolutely right. You know, I, I have gotten very bleak and very dark in these lately, so this one's going to be all levity, all fun, and we're going to focus on the good stuff in life. But um, as I'm sure Mark would admit, I'm kind of a, I kind of have a dark mind in person. Um, I make no apologies for that. I was uh, pulling up the gallery list to share with everybody so that they could um, purchase some of the stuff we had on display yesterday, and uh, to my surprise, every piece sold. Um, and completely sold out, with the exception of some of the colored capsules that uh, have already been released, and they have a little bit of inventory of. Um, but that was a really tremendous surprise, so thank you guys for checking out the show. Um, I know uh, I had gone in to set up the show ahead of time, and already they were breaking out the red dots, and I believe uh, half of our, our things on display had uh, already been sold, so that was a really great way to start the evening, and uh, according to uh, this morning, they're all gone. Um, So there's probably a couple questions about uh, the exhibit and the display and why we did what we did and what is the significance of it. So um, my goal was to, you know, obviously I've always been obsessed with color theory and these sort of multicolor displays. Um, somebody remarked last night that this looked like a Uniqlo sock display, and I thought that was such a wonderful compliment, because that's exactly what we're going for. Something very clean, something very colorful, and, uh, you know, I thought it was a perfect opportunity to to debut these clear, uh, capsule version ones that I've run, and I wanted to, I wanted to have a display that showed a gradient of color, but also covered every single style of figure we've done. So uh, obviously I utilized Material Boys and Unpainted uh, figures. There was only one or two things on there that I I don't think anybody had seen yet, and those for Smart Squires were picked up pretty quick. Um, But, you know, the, the purpose for this clutter thing was not to, um, not to necessarily have an individual item be 
all that compelling, but rather to show the entire breadth of every character we've brought to life, every different style, and the sort of unified power of them. You know, because I think if you encounter a classic knight in a, a bin of toys at a flea market, you might think it's cool and you might take it home and, and like it for a little while and forget about it. But if you have a, a, a bunch of our figures and you have them displayed together and you have some of our Ono oh collaborations and you have some of our Super 7 collaborations, uh, when you look at these figures as a, a sort of population, you know, when you see them all lined up together, I think that's where the real strength of our line lays. There's such a variety. You know, if you, you think of our, our latest figure, Cyber Mama, with all her different looks and accessories, and then you look in comparison to the Classic Knight, our, our first figure, there's such a, a sort of wild, rich history that happens in between these two high watermarks. And I think that that's what's interesting to me about Knights of the Slice. The same way I would be confounded by these bizarre Remco or Chapmay or Lennard knockoff figures I would find in stores when I was a kid. You know, just things that didn't make sense but looked cool with interesting color schemes and sort of reminded me of other popular mainstream characters. That kind of magical feeling, I, I think we've really nailed in this line, looking back over five years. And um, I wanted our display to reflect that, to, to give people a, a sense of the depth and the different combinations and the wild characters and the base bodies. And um, probably the best part of the evening is talking to completely new people and just you know, answering their questions and, and, you know, seeing, trying to interpret what kind of reactions they get from it. And I think overall, you know, people just were drawn to the colors and they liked the interesting sort of feeling of, of looking, trying to decipher what a figure might be inside of that clear capsule. Because this was not a hands-on display. People weren't allowed to sort of touch and open these and, and do things like that. So, they're almost kind of viewing these as specimens in suspended, suspended animation. And I think that that's really fun and fascinating. And, and overall, it was a fantastic sort of experience. Uh, people drove from as far up as Boston, uh, a couple friends from Connecticut, New Jersey, um, Albany. It was really, you know, it was a nice coming together for everybody. I always love seeing... Squires of the Slice in person, but I particularly love seeing patrons in person. And we had a little little powwow between all the patrons. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe a couple secrets were revealed. I don't know. I, I can't say. I was, uh, I was twisted off of that unsweetened iced tea. I wasn't in my proper mind. I think that our next sort of live event and an opportunity for people to uh, interact with myself and hopefully Nikki in person will likely be the uh, store opening in uh, Connecticut for uh, Bobby Torres's new brick-and-mortar venture. Uh, currently, it is called Off the Top, From the Top. God damn it. Um, I believe I have convinced him to switch the name back to This Toy Life because I think that's a fantastic name 
for a toy store. So that's going to be happening probably towards the end of this month, maybe early March, and we're going to have a dedicated Knights of the Slice evening. Uh, this will be happening in Connecticut, which is much easier for our friends in Boston to get to. Um, and I know we have a couple squires and a couple patrons in Connecticut as well. So that will be a really fun sort of outing that we can do. And uh, I look forward to it. And please, no assassination attempts. That's all I ask. So in keeping with the theme of joyous, happy feelings. Right now I'm obsessed with a, a toy line that I've been obsessed with at a couple different junctures over the years. Um, I'm back in that Brave Star frame of mind. And uh, I don't know if you guys collected Brave Star or not. I'd love to hear from you if you have. Uh, I've told the story before. This was one of uh, the only figures my great-grandfather ever bought for me. He, he was not the toy buyer of that household. And um, he was a you know, a very pleasant, soft-spoken guy, but a illiterate um, World War II veteran. And wasn't, he was very nice and very warm to us kids, but I could tell he, he had, he was just of that generation that didn't fucking talk about anything. You know, they really, they tried to have no emotions. They were raised that way. You know, they all grew up in the Depression and just really... By today's standards, uh, we are so much more flowery and emotive and empathetic than than that generation were. You know, people born around the turn of the century, the last century. Um, and he he used to go off for these long walks. That was his exercise. He would walk for miles and miles. And he walked to, I think, Caldor, and they were clearancing out Brave Star for, it was either a dime or a nickel. I don't remember what I told last time. And he picked up Marshall Bravestar for me, and I, I loved this figure so much. And there was, there was not really cowboy figures uh, around this era. Um, if you went back a little bit, you had, you know, Marx did some great cowboy figures. But this was, you know, mid-80s. There wasn't really um, too much going on cowboy-wise. Although, as I have said previously, Young Guns 2 was a hugely influential movie to me. Um, and uh, I really loved and cherished this Brave Star figure, and I love this line. And as we are working on our space cowboy project, this grand, ambitious thing, um, it has naturally gravitated me towards the very few sort of sci-fi western properties that exist out there. Um, you had Galaxy Rangers, and you had Brave Star. Galaxy Rangers was much more popular in Europe and the UK. Uh, I actually just got an annual of Galaxy Rangers. For those who don't know, in, in uh, you know the UK and parts of Europe, they have annual books. And these are, you could almost consider them yearbooks in some respect. They're sold around the holidays, and they encapsulate a bunch of stuff. Uh, comics, sometimes like word puzzles, things like that. Sometimes they have little bonus accessories that go along with them. And they're just sort of like an end-of-the-year hardcover book that parents and grandparents could get for kids based on the properties they were into. So if you do some research, there's some great publications that just never happened stateside for all of these brands during the 80s and 90s. And I was lucky enough to find a pretty reasonably priced Galaxy Rangers one. And um, 
you know, the art's kind of terrible, but there's some, there's some interesting pieces to it. Um, so I've been sort of like consuming Galaxy Rangers and consuming Brave Star. I can say that um, anybody who sort of lies to themselves and says that these 80s cartoons still hold up and are great are, are completely full of shit because these things are really not well done. Um, no offense to the creators involved in these things, but I don't think that this was... Uh, I think largely cr the creatives involved in the 80s cartoon programming were just getting a paycheck and just writing nonsensical scripts. And, and the artwork, let's face it, we were all the victims of a bait-and-switch when it came to animation because the introduction to each of these cartoons was this really high-quality animation, usually done by a Japanese studio or an Asian studio that was highly proficient in this. And those were big-budget pieces. And then the interior animation was always really subpar. Um, there's numerous and numerous examples of this. It, it is a sort of a real... <laughs> A real kind of scam that they were running because a lot of what you think and recollect and like about these old cartoon shows is based on that intro and that intro because it was going to play be you know every single time an episode aired and was going to be their sort of banner they you know put a lot of cash into those intros and and uh, they got a lot of mileage out of them but um in comparison the the sort of uh you know, the quality of animation that we got within the actual episode was pretty abysmal. Um, but all the same, I'm into this idea of a sci-fi western. I'm really immersing myself in it. Another good one is uh, Star Saber Sheriff. I don't fucking know. It's called Bismarck in um, Japan, and uh, it is a it is not an anime. And there's three main characters. They uh, There's a sort of English guy, there's a cowboy, and then there's a Japanese race car driver. And uh, I believe it's Star Saber. And the, sh and the sheriffs of something. Not Nottingham, but maybe that. Um, and uh, after years and years of searching, I, I did luck out and find a uh, figure from there and it's really fantastic and it is the same motif it is a futuristic cowboy and he's wearing armor and uh, I've sort of jury rigged him to have one of the Fortnite six shooters which with a little snipping fits perfectly in the holster and I'll, I'll post a photo of this figure um, it's very near and dear to me but my point is I'm so pumped up and energized for eventually getting to this Space Cowboy project. And I think it's going to be a defining moment for all of our efforts and, and in this great sort of world of toys that we're creating. I'm super pumped for it. I actually pulled out from the basement all of the Western figures I had. And I, I am pretty good about keeping things neat and organized and labeled in specific bins, so it was not a hard thing to do. Just kind of pulled everything out. And... There's been some pretty fantastic Western and Space Western figures over the years. Um, but I would like to hear from you guys if you have a favorite sort of thing. And then also, 
there were there was always like a genre of western characters in pretty much everything we grew up in you know there's a couple characters like wild bill and gi joe that sort of scratched that itch um i think you could argue spirit from gi joe who was a, a pretty high favorite of mine in the gi joe roster was another like little nod to this as well and uh i want to hear from you guys which of these western characters characters you really liked another great example sundown from cops and crooks that was a great western motif character uh rio blast from he-man that was a great western character um so compile your thoughts let me know if you were also fond of this genre and which characters amongst these lines you sort of gravitated towards Another line I truly love, and uh, I think that deserves some level of discussion, is the great, short-lived Starcom line. Now, if you've gotten the, uh, I believe it was the Harley and Marley zine that I did as a patron gift um, late last year, there was a tiny little section of that zine that covered all the minifigures, and I sort of evaluate their pluses and minuses. And, you know, I grew up in the era of Mask and Diner Riders and Starcom and all these great lines that featured characters and figures that were much smaller than, you know, three and three quarter inch standard sort of entry. And um, it was really tough to find a perfect approach to the minifigure. Oftentimes, it felt like the figure itself was an afterthought with the vehicles sort of taking the majority of focus. I, I think Mask is a good example of this. The vehicles are really great. The uh, figures are okay. And they are lacking and missing a couple key ingredients that I think make Starcom probably the best of the minifigure lines of that era. And um, obviously... I think when it comes to evaluating minifigures, knee articulation is super important. Now, there are some lines that get away without doing it. Uh, Sky Commanders don't have knee articulation. They don't seem to really suffer too much within the play pattern of of that line. Um, Mask have knee articulation, a necessity to sort of get them to fit in all the different vehicles and combinations. Uh, Sarcom have really solid knee articulation. They also have um, a neck that has a bit more range um, than the other minifigure lines of the time. It can kind of, they can tilt down and you get a little bit of uh, side-to-side action as well. Um, The difference of plastics used in Starcom is really where the line shines because it adds all these different textures to it. You have the rubber-esque, feeling of the hoses that connect the backpacks to the guns. You have the beautiful frosted quote-unquote glass, the ABS transparent plastic of the visors. Obviously, any line that has a visor that's movable is is really aces with me, and to be able to do it at such a small scale deserves extra note. Um, They also did something which very few minifigure lines did, with the exception of, I think, Kenner's Bone Age. They had hands that could grip accessories. And really, I think that that's that's the line in the sand that makes a minifigure line 
go from being just a sort of modest effort, as far as the figure goes, to being a really great figure. Um, think of Battle Beasts as well. Like, they, they have such great grippable hands, and all the weapons work perfectly with all the different figures. You can intermix them, and it's really quite fantastic. Um, Kenner Bone Age does this as well in a really great way. Um, that line probably has some of the best accessories of, you know, of any of these. But I digress. We're focusing on Starcom here. Um, unique guns and unique backpacks for each of the astronaut characters. Again, that rubber tube that connects them. Uh, I think in some cases also you could sort of store the gun on the backpack. I, I might be misremembering that, but I think that may be the case. Um, also, really interesting color theories going on with the Starcom figures. You know, you have your classic sort of red cosmonaut jumpsuit and your orange early space uh, space age um, suits, but then you have a lot of interesting variations thereafter, and you have these kind of evil robot characters that have blacks and dark purples and dark greens. A lot of those colors you'll notice, have sort of transmutated their way into O'Neill's Glios releases for their sort of evil and bad characters. Um, I believe there was also a connection with NASA for this uh, cartoon and ultimately the toy line. There, what you'll see, <clears throat> and what still happens to this day, and it's a little bit kind of insidious, but the government played a big role in Hollywood and in programming and things like that. That's why we had all these anti-drug episodes for all the popular sitcoms. This was part of the war on drugs and and really trying to sort of influence in a non-overt way public policy on these things. Um, so in the same way, NASA had some level of involvement with Starcom as a way to sort of kickstart kids' imagination to get them into, uh, you know, space exploration and wanting to work for NASA and work for the government. I would argue that's probably a better use of brainwashing than, you know, the dare and anti-drug messaging of the uh, Reagan era. But I digress. Um, another factor of Starcom that cannot be overstated is the amazing magnet systems and how this influenced not only the play of the figures, but their interaction with the vehicles. The vehicles themselves, even without minifigures, are really marvels of engineering. Fantastic figures. All of them featuring a sort of click-and-wind feature. You press a button, and you can pick up this, uh, this canister of cargo and put it on the bed of the truck. You can have a densely compact cube that, when pressed, folds open into a fighter jet. And the interactability between each vehicle, you know, that cargo pod can be picked up by that jet that you bought separately. The figures themselves can adhere to metal plates on the vehicles. Really one of the most thoughtful, deliberate, and well-thought-out lines that um, you can come in contact with. Um, on the downside, I would say <laughs> the only downside to the line of Starcom is that some of the best 
vehicles and pods only were available in Europe. They were not released here stateside. We, the entire line in and of itself did not have a very long time span. Didn't have a lifeline that was that big. But um, the later sets, which are harder to come by and are getting more expensive as the years pass on, they are really fantastic and they were largely released over in Europe. These include little pods that sort of folded out into different battle stations and medical bays and really quite interesting sort of things. Um, the, the idea that largely all of Starcom is based off of this, this square shape. And this square shape was a set size that many vehicles were built into the footprint of, the um, sort of fuel and cargo pods were built into, and um, the cargo holds for many of the vehicles were, were sort of all consistent with this one square shape, not unlike Minecraft having this universal square shape that all their blocks can be built upon. There was a real modularity to Starcom. Um, and it's not that just one vehicle had this square-shaped footprint built into it. It was that all of them do, and they all correspond to it. Um, really, truly tremendous and a fascinating line. One that has aged quite well and still holds up to this day. Uh, and if you're looking for something modern that can kind of interact quite well with Starcom because it is tough to track down the figures and get them in one piece and have their visors still intact. The Mega Bloks minifigure line work perfect with this. You know, there is not... They did a classic Trek line for Mega Bloks a few years ago, and there's really no vehicles that those characters can interact with. But they fit perfectly well with Starcom. And um, if you're like me and you maybe casually collect the solo minifigures from the Mega Bloks line, which are really fantastic. Um, you probably have a good army built up, and you may need some vehicles for them. You may need some bases for them to interact with, but maybe you don't have all the time in the world to build Mega Bloks sets. So Starcom work perfectly well for this. I, I highly recommend you dust them off, and you take your Mega Bloks figures and have them populate these uh, modes of transportation. Um, really, truly one of the greats. Uh, I'm in sort of like thinking about Bravestar and thinking about Starcom. I've also been trying to track down a list of top 10 toys that I published somewhere. I can't quite figure out where. It might have been on Tumblr. Um, it might have been just into the vacuum of space. I, I can't for the life of me find it. Uh, I think it was stored in notes on one of my old laptops that is shit the bed. So I'm going to have to sit down and rewrite my top 10 toys of all time. And these are probably not the toys you think they are. And they're not based on merit alone. They're sort of based on, you know, personal attachment. Um, there are great things on there, and I think it, it'll be informative to look back. I, I am trying to find the old list because I'd like to see how it's aged since then. I must have written it 10 years ago. And I'm curious if anything that's come out since then has usurped a spot on that list. 
But um, keep your eyes out for that sometime soon. And uh, it's going to be hard to to really just whittle it down to 10. But I, I know definitely one or two of the bullet points on that. And it'll be an interesting conversation for us to have. So there you have it, folks. A largely positive Dostazapod. I hope you all have had a wonderful weekend. And I'll catch you on Patreon. Thank you.